Ledger is a writing podcast and hopefully a little bit of your daily motion as far as writing goes. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Welcome to today's show where I chat with Brock Swinson, also a podcast host and writer. He and I have a lot of stuff in common that we end up chatting about, but he came by to talk about his book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. You can check that out at brockswinson.com slash ink. He also hosts Creative Principles, a podcast with over 430 episodes, a lot of people on that show that are very interesting and talented writers, people like Robert Eggers, Dennis Lehane, Eleanor Coppola, Tanana Reeve Du, Judd Apatow, Edgar Wright, Ethan Hawke, whom I adore. Hello, Ethan. Yeah, just a lot of stuff for us to cover. Brock is very, very busy and does a lot of things. The book is... Uh, he builds it as an easy and proven way to become prolific, which is one of the things that we talk about. What does prolific mean for him? What does it mean in today's society as far as writing goes? And we talk about the the advice that's in his book. We even talk about marketing copywriting because that's another thing that he and I have in common. We also talk about the the big topic, it seems, here at Ledger, which is whether or not writing every day is necessary or something that he does and as i sort of mentioned in the intro that you just heard the daily motion uh, that he talks about so writing every day and whether that means getting words on the page for the day we talk about all kinds of things inspiration how much research and writing it takes for him to do an episode of his show where he's talking to really really busy people and people who have a lot of stuff that they've done that he wants to chat about. Interesting chat with Brock. Make sure you go to brockswinson.com slash ink, where you can get a free copy of Ink by the Barrel. He's giving away, I think, 10,000. So make sure you go check it out and see if there's still any available. Uh, Check out Creative Principles and give it a listen. You'll hear something that uh, hits you. I guarantee it because there's a ton of people on the show. Uh, As always, go to Austin R. Wilson to check out my stuff, and I don't know really where I am on social media right now. My Twitter account's almost completely done because of all the stuff going on over there, but I have a link tree that lists a lot of other places you can find me, so check that out. Like the show, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. I haven't said that a lot, but those things really do help other people find the show. I feel weird saying those things, but that's just part of the the machine that we've all signed on for. So if you if you like the show, please do those things and please tell other people about the show. In between recording this episode and posting it, I moved houses, which was very easy until it became time for me to have my internet hooked up which then was the worst thing that could have happened to me, only because I work from home and need the internet, so I didn't have the internet for a week. Uh, Thanks Comcast and Xfinity. I canceled my account there and went somewhere else because they're so horrible. It's just so weird to have the internet be such a key part of my life and then have it disappear, and then I'm like bereft for a week. Anyway, here's my chat with Brock Swenson. Make sure you go check out his stuff and let me know what you think of the show. I am super interested in like 436 episodes and and specifically in your book you talk about protecting your time and scheduling and I'm really curious how that matches up with recording your show. Yeah, I mean, you know, to go like to go way back, I mean the show started with I was living in LA at the time, I was working on commercials and TV shows, a lot of bad TV shows, a lot of murder reenactment type shows, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but there's a job listing on Craigslist. So I've, I've been doing some podcasts lately, and it's like, in hindsight, whenever I followed a weird curiosity, it like led to something pretty good, or at least some of the time it does. 
So I applied this job on Craigslist and I ended up getting hired at Craigslist Screenwriting Magazine. It's a magazine I kind of grew up reading. It's, it's more of a website now. But I go from like, you know, being a PA and on these sets and things like that. So I'm like driving to go meet a screenwriter. And the first one I ever did was this guy, Blake Masters. He wrote a movie called Two Guns. So I'm like on the way to meet him. Every billboard is Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. And, you know, this big movie coming out. It's based on a comic. Yeah, based on a comic. And he's written a bunch of stuff kind of since then. But at the time... I don't know. I feel like I learned more talking to him an hour than I did going to school to learn about screenwriting. And I've been doing that for 10 years. Somewhere in the middle of that, I kind of pitched the idea to the magazine, like, hey, we have all this great audio. What do you think about maybe me hosting a show and we'll do a podcast? And I feel like podcasts were still kind of like, what's a podcast? And some of the marketing of the magazine is a little more old school, a little more traditional. And they were just kind of like, you can have it, do what you want to. So I, I didn't want to call it the same thing. but I, uh, So I write for creative screenwriting. I call it creative principles. But we, were turn, we would turn down like an actor. We only talk to screenwriters. So that kind of led me to talking to actors and directors and musicians and chefs and whoever I can kind of, you know, mold into a creativity type mindset. So yeah. now I kind of use it for whatever interests me and it definitely helps me in my own writing. And I'm sure, as you know, you get to talk to great writers and just ask them whatever you're thinking about that week. In addition to a little bit of promotion. Yeah. That's the, I've mentioned it many times on the show that there's a large aspect of doing the show. That's pretty selfish because I, yeah. I get so much, energy out of talking to people about writing. And then I'm like super pumped to, to get back to it after I, after I record an episode. And so when you're in LA working as, as a PA and, and are you out there writing scripts for, you said TV shows with murder re uh, reenactments, yeah. but are you out there writing screenplays? What are you, what are you working on while you're out there? At the time I had a, I wrote a script in college, like the loose idea. It's like this, uh, 19 year old pickpocket travels around to different universities and poses as a student. If you can take somebody's wallet, you can get into all the buildings. It was kind of a reflection on like, you don't really need college, but you need this part of college. So that kind of got floated around. Someone I actually talked to now produces Ted Lasso. So I did make some relationships that way. That one kind of, I feel like my writing changed a lot over the years, but I moved into copywriting, did a lot, did a lot of stuff in that. That's like definitely what paid the bills. But now I'm kind of coming back to it. I've always been talking to screenwriters. We're actually making my first film now. It's a documentary called Daredevil Society. It's about the history of stunts in film. So it's going to be an eight-hour series going back from Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, to Jackie Chan, Zoe Bell, all the way to today, to Keanu Reeves, and then the ever you know the flow of that. So it's going to be a, a mini like a eight-hour series, and then I'm also got some scripts more in that vein. I've kind of write more. If I used to write like Ocean's Eleven, now I write more like Taylor Sheridan, and Yellowstone. That's kind of where I found my sweet spot. So we're um, floating a script around now. It's a TV show and I've got another one I'm writing that's got a little bit of interest to it as well. It's funny. I saw as I was preparing for this, I was like scrolling through your shows because I'm like, oh my God, this guy, this is a lot of shows. <laughs> and so there's names like leaping out at me and Scott Atkins was one of the names yeah. Uh, that leapt out. And because my friends and I were, you know, we love action movies, but we also love the stunt aspect of, of everything that's going into it. And Scott Adkins is one of those names that yeah. I think with modern stunts and, and the, the conversation yeah. around stunts. I, so I'm excited to see that uh, Daredevil Society. Is that what Daredevil Society? Yeah. Daredevil Society. Yeah. So it's, it's been cool getting those stories. Like I like probably the first movie I saw as a kid, it was an action movie, probably the first R-rated movie I saw 
It's like Rumble in the Bronx, a Jackie Chan movie. So I just got to talk to this one of the guys he's beating up in the movie over and over. I got to talk to that guy about what that was like. He was later one of the Ninja Turtles. He was in a Chuck Norris movie and like all these wild stories. You know, they've, they've all got crazy stories. I just talked to another woman named uh, Cheryl Lewis. She's an expert in getting hit by cars. So it's like the weirdest, <laughs> weirdest stories you can imagine. And then just kind of putting those in a flow. Like I like to, I like to kind of pitch it as like a less boring Ken Burns style documentary. There's a lot of stuff kind of happening in it. What a great thing to be able to tell people. What do you do? I, I get hit by cars. Yeah, just really good at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm great at getting hit by cars. <laughs> so are you right? Did you write the that whole eight hours? Like, is there a, a script for all eight hours? How how does a something like that come together? I'm I'm so interested in that. Yeah, we're working on it now. Uh, I, I saw some courses and stuff too, so I'm thinking about like kind of documenting how I make this because I think the making of it is as interesting as like what it is. So. I interviewed a couple people in the show, and again, like kind of peaking my own interests. Like, so Bal Gwynn uh, directed a movie called Like Water a few years ago, the, the Bruce Lee documentary. Yeah, Bruce Lee. There was another one about John Belushi at that same time period by a guy named R.J. Cutler. And I'm watching these movies, and I'm realizing they're not using talking heads. They're not cutting away to someone talking. They're doing it for creative reasons. Like, he didn't want to go from talking about Bruce Lee in 1975 to show like Kareem Abdul Jabbar today, and he's you know 80 years old. It would kind of take you out creatively. But I was thinking about it like logistically. Okay, if I just do interviews over Zoom, like Ethan Hawke did a documentary like this too about Paul Newman recently. Don't show the clips. Don't show the talking heads. Just show archival footage. You go from like a half million dollar movie to maybe 50 grand because you're paying copyright lawyers to approve off our couple of footage and all that kind of stuff. So right. I'm like, how can, you know, can one person basically make a movie by themselves in an office? And I kind of think you can. So I just started setting up, you know, luckily the, the Scott Atkins interview was already booked, but I can use some of these credibilities of the podcast and ask yeah. them, you know, again, like whatever I want to. And, and you also like, if I'm using that, I don't necessarily have to sit down with Tom Cruise. If Tom Cruise is talking about mission Impossible anywhere, and I'm using that over some footage that's there and it's, it's all part of the bigger puzzle. That's kind of a way that like, you know, someone who doesn't really have that credibility can kind of start to break in and, and truly just like, it's just like putting time into something. That's a, a, an interview or a, a documentary recently that I really loved was chasing the moon, which is about the Apollo moon landings and it's zero talking heads. Yeah. There's not a talking head and it. it's all archival footage. There yeah. is narration and stuff. And it was, artistically, I, w I was very, very into it. And from a writing standpoint, it's super interesting too, because those interviews, I, it's a little, e I, my guess is it's a little easier to edit if you don't have yeah. to like try and guide a conversation. <laughs> That's the big thing. That's why if you watch them and there's two cameras, you see them constantly cutting. It's because people do not talk in complete sentences. It's like impossible. So I can, you know, you don't want to manipulate what they're saying, but you can't just make it flow for the listener. So like as an example, I've got um, the first episode I'm going to give away for free in July. It'll be like about silent films. So in terms of like writing, I'm writing about 10 or 15 minutes of it. It's kind of an opening that leads in, talks about vaudeville. And I'm trying my best and I'll, I'm kind of going back and forth. But like I'll, I've interviewed experts. So like I'll talk to like Harold Lloyd's biographer, Buster Keaton's biographer. They'll tell me everything I really need to know. And I'm summarizing that down to like a chunk. And then I'm kind of like changing it that way. I'm doing the first, like, what's called a scratch narration myself. Ideally, I'll bring on some producers 
later or some talent that would do a later version of that. But I've raised about um, almost $20,000 to kind of help me get started with it. So I feel like we're you know, very much the foundation is there. And after doing all these interviews, that seems to be the difference. It's like people don't want to say, hey, I've got an idea or whatever. They want to be approached in a way that's like, I'm doing this. I'm taking this idea across the finish line. Here's how. I'd love for you to be a part of it, but if you're not, it's okay. I'm going to keep going. That seems to be like the best advice I've heard about making movies, writing books, like whatever you want to do. You can almost do anything today, especially if you're just that type of person who's just going to cross the finish line with it. That's super interesting. I haven't really thought about that. And as someone who, like I've pitched comics and novels and short stories and stuff and that concept of, listen, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Whether you're going to like help me or not, like this thing's going to get done. Right. That's such an interesting aspect. I, you, you've heard that from a ton of writers that you've talked to more and more, like it's like more and more common, especially today. I mean, every, like we talked to um, Christopher McQuarrie that does the mission Impossible films. I don't think he said it then, but I've heard him say it elsewhere. It's just like, you've never made it. Like you're never like he, he's saying this, he does all Tom Cruise's <laughs> movies. Right. And he's like, you've never made it. Like just assume like, I mean, it's odd to think of like Chris McQuarrie and like Christopher Nolan as like independent filmmakers, but they very much are. They're very yeah. much going to make these things happen, like almost regardless of what you tell them. They don't believe in permission. They don't believe in gatekeepers. They're just like, we're going to figure this out and make it work. It's very entrepreneurial spirited, I think. Yeah. And in, in your book, Ink by the Barrel, I, I was reading, you know, preparing for this. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about taking control of what you're working on and that one of the things, uh, if you go to the the website, which I'll link to and everything, um, cause you're also giving it away for free, which I, I want to talk about, but it's uh, an easy and proven way to become prolific is the, is the thing that you, the tagline for the book. And I want to talk about being prolific and what that means to you, because you sort of talk about it in the book a little bit about, you know, special cases or exceptions. But for me, since my show is like specifically about writing, yeah the idea of what prolific means to me might be different than it is to you. Or I'm just so curious where, where other people fall on that spectrum of what does prolific mean? Yeah. What's it mean to you specifically? I think it's like, however you get to the point where like to kind of mini quote Seth Godin, like you're shipping regularly, like whatever that means to you, you're publishing and everything else. Like I listened to your interview with uh, Daniel Krauss kind of preparing for the show and, that dude sounds like another level. Like he's talking like eight hours a day writing fiction. That's beyond what anyone could really normally do, right? I I sort of battled myself mentally after <laughs> recording that episode because I was like, am I fucking up? Am I not doing enough? Like what <laughs> right, am I doing? Right, yeah. yeah. But he's like, you know, if you watch a David Goggins video and you go run, you're not going to run like the way David Goggins, you know, it's just very different. It's like right. he's got some anxiety probably around it. Like he has to literally do it. I'm very much of like the the idea of like creating every day, not, not necessarily like I edit videos. I look at some form of that as like creating every day. When I'm writing a book or different things like that, I'm usually doing more of a sprint. I'll spend a lot of time outlining, thinking about things. My big picture goal is to like personally for myself, I write two scripts a year and I want to write a book every two years. There's a lot of outlining and thinking and all the parts where you see Don Draper laying on the couch thinking of like a lot <laughs> right. of it's that, right? Yeah. A lot of it's just that stuff. So by the same time, like I did, a, I recently did this like prolific challenge to kind of pair with the book, like a thousand people signed up for it. It's just a little free thing I did. 
And I wrote the book very much for myself like 10 years ago when I just like, I couldn't make it a habit. I couldn't just stick with it, you know? And I think it's just like, if you've never done it, my goal for, for those people was to like be prolific, meaning like start, spend 30 days writing, two minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. So I made like a little video of me giving a lesson from the book. I would show a clip of an interview of someone like Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Jay Apatow that I've interviewed, like talking about some lesson. And it's just a 30-day video series. A lot of people finished it and never have done that before. They've never finished anything. And they all kind of felt like, you know, day 31, they're like, now what? You know, so I think like you really need to figure out what that is for you. And I like the idea of like having some big picture goals that I want to do over the course of a year. But I don't know there's certain things. I don't know if you can really write every day. And if you're... I talk in the book about like playful trickster and tortured martyr. So idea from Elizabeth Gilbert, I think it's really your mental state, you know? So like I used to go through and if I gave myself like a to-do list of 10 items every day, I would just be like mentally battling myself every day. But if I write down like three essential things, if you do three things a day, I, I work every day on something. You only do 90 things in a month. And that also gives you like a cap too. like, you're welcome to do more but you're not required to do more. And I think it's more about like how you approach it. Like really that's what prolific is. I don't, I mean, there's a giant difference in like George R. R. Martin, Stephen King, Stephen King just fucking loves it. Right. He just loves it. Eats it up. George R. R. Martin kills himself like over and over again. So wherever you are kind of in that spectrum, I think it's like prolific doesn't just mean, you know, like I think when I was early in my career, I was like, oh, I wrote 10,000 words today and I'm burnt out for two weeks, you know? So prolific just means like, there's a balance of like producing and resting and finding out what, what that means to you. But having those big picture goals kind of pulls me in that direction pretty often. It's a big topic that we return to again and again on the show, because in my very first interview, I was talking with Erica Swyler about writing every day and whether she does it. And I can't remember her exact answer, but the summation is like, hell no, (laughs) (laughs) no, I don't write every day. And it's something that I've struggled with and, Bless Kraus, like Daniel Kraus yeah, is yeah. on, like you said, on another level. He has a drive that is admirable and a, a thing that I aspire to. But I also know mentally and emotionally, yeah, I'm a little more fragile than I, I need those downtimes. And you kind of already answered this, but at, towards the end of the book, you, uh, the thing you said that stuck with me was the act of motion day in and day out is mm-hmm. what makes you a writer and. As 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 kind of bullshit as it sounds, that doesn't always mean writing. Yeah. And I think it's hard to accept that sometimes. This will be the probably bajillionth time I've I've talked about it because it's such a, a sticking point with me. Like it doesn't always have to be writing. Like you said, you'll edit videos or you'll sit and think yeah. and that is feeding back into the thing that you'll be doing eventually. I think like the very minimalist approach is like one thing I try to do every day and we're traveling right now. So I'm at the beach. It's not like a normal, normal office. So I'm trying to like do certain things that are like kind of transportable as I'll write kind of a note card every day. I use like Ron Holiday's note card system to write books. So at the end of the year, and I've got way more than 365, some days you write 10, some days you just write one. But that like going back to like Jane Clear, that two minute habit, that makes you a writer. Like really that's enough. I think being so hard on yourself today, and it's a little bit less obvious. Like I love, there's some quote from David Sedaris about like, you could have a really shitty day writing, but on a typewriter, you got balls of paper on the floor. Like there's proof that you spent the time doing it. 
And on the computer, I mean, you close your laptop. I mean, it's just like, it's nothing there, right? So like, I literally use note cards. I use bulletin boards. I'll go walk and think about something. And it's some of it's just kind of inching along. It's hard to say what's what. So going back to that challenge I did, if I'm talking to somebody who's brand new, who's never done, you know, 30 days in a row, I would tell them like, don't focus on word count. You're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Like think about time. Like, are you just sitting at the computer doing nothing? And there's a Neil Gaiman quote in his master class. I think it was in his master class where he says something like, you can sit at your computer and you can write or you can do nothing, but you can't do anything else. And it's really like that simple. Like if you just like make that habit every day, it's five or 10 minutes. Like it can barely be anything. You're just like staring at a blank page or a notebook or whatever. Like you're, you're one step closer to being a writer. And the more things you start to write, the more credibility and proof you have that that's who you are. Cause you're just, you're not just like trying to publish your first book. You're not going to be the next Jay Song. You're not going to be the next Tarantino. Get that out of your head. Yeah. But if you want to be a writer, it's just like those, like do those things that a writer does. And that's kind of enough. That's enough to get started. A big thing in your book is the, the idea of being a prolific professional of, of thinking about writing from the, from the standpoint of doing it professionally. Yeah. And just coincidentally, I had read an article uh, in Esquire by a writer named Rainsford Stauffer about writing and whether it's a hobby or a career. Mm-hmm. I think the title is literally, is my writing a hobby or a career? Yeah. And almost in like the first two sentences, I think it's literally the first two sentences. She says, no, but kind of. Yeah. I, that's one thing I want to, I, I want to talk to you about is where the line between hobby and profession is and does it shift and and how important is it for us to define the thing we're doing as professional because i know what you like i know why that distinction exists because if i'm sitting down to write something and i'm just like i'm just gonna have fun it's for nothing (laughs) my mindset's a little different than if i'm like okay shit i've got a deadline this thing is where's that divide for you or does it exist at all anymore? Yeah. I mean, I don't like, I don't believe in the muse. I don't really believe in that. I kind of talk about like what I think it means. Like if you're in the environment and the, you know, the quote muse comes, it's because you're always there and you're kind of always ready. I think a friend of mine asked me something like this not long ago. And the difference in a professional and an amateur is that you do it when you don't want to do it. I mean, I think it's like that obvious. It's like, Think about going to the gym. I don't have motivation most days to go to the gym. I, why would it, I don't ever really want to go, right. but it's like, it's, that's how I kind of define part of myself, these certain things. Right. So I think that's the biggest difference. And also like kind of, you know, you and I are, are people who dissect this kind of shit all the time. So sure. all we're really thinking about is like habits and writing and everything else. So I think if you like, if you're in the mindset and you love it and you just love it and you produce pages every day and you're churning stuff out you're not listening to people like us talk about writing, <laughs> right? So, so the, the what a great point, <laughs> right? Like what kind of those people are? I feel like there's so few. I've never met them, and I've talked to four or five hundred writers in Hollywood. You know, yeah, I, most of the people I talk to are like, no, I, I yes, I hate it. Like, <laughs> right. some, I, there are days where I hate it. I, I don't think that's. It's so common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it makes me wonder if the people who don't hate it, not that like, it's, it's like something that I can't, it would be like, if I like, I'm bald as well. Like if I grew, woke up one day and was like, I, you know what? I want to have hair today. Like it's, <laughs> it's not a thing that I can decide on. Like I am yeah. a person who sometimes hates writing and I'm a person who sometimes loves it. I can't change that. I don't see, I don't think I hate it. 
a lot of times, maybe you're writing the wrong thing. I, th I think like one distinction I kind of make in the book is like people who can't seem to get the words out, they can't separate the internal writer from the internal editor. I think that's like a giant thing for people. Um, or you're writing the wrong stuff. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've noticed this more as like, I'm a copywriter, I write for people like professionally. Like I had something, I had, I had three interviews the other day and like the first two, I was like, ah, these don't really feel great. The third one like felt perfect. And we connected, we had similar mindset about what, what we're going to be working on. And I think it's just like, you spend too much time doing something that's not really important or it's not like your larger life purpose. Like I write very specific types of movies, but it took me four or five bad scripts or so to figure out what that is. So it may just be that you haven't gotten through all that kind of drudge yet to get to it. I wish that's what it was, <laughs> but no, <laughs> I've been, it's I've been right. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's weird to say, like, I think it's the, it, it does boil down to the thing that you said about doing it when you don't want to. Yeah. Because sometimes it, it feels like torture. Yeah. And I think on those days, those are the days where I, I tend to be like, you know what, I'm just going to do notes today or mm -hmm. I'm going to outline or because I'm also a copywriter yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in marketing and mm -hmm. I definitely know what it feels like to write marketing, copywriting versus the other stuff. Yeah. Well, there's like career transitions too, right? I don't just mean like the obvious stuff. Like if I'm thinking about being prolific, I'm thinking about longevity. So I used to write a lot of blog content and I was kind of shifted over to like helping people define their brands and stuff like that. I, you couldn't pay me enough to go back and write a ton of blogs every day. Like I just don't care about it. Right. I care about this other thing. And I think there's, there is some progression towards that. And I worked at ClickFunnels for a while. So I got to learn like the, some of the best marketing stuff from some of the best minds in the business. And it really changed my perspective on a lot of things, but yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine going backwards or kind of getting stuck in one rut or something like that. You know, what is interesting to think about, well, what do you, how do you shift your brain? Because in January, before I got laid off, it got to a point where the notes that we were getting were so specific and so restrictive yeah, yeah. that it was awful. Right. <laughs> and having to use the muscle that I have to do, to be creative in this like tiny little dot, <laughs> it, that felt worse than any time I've ever sat down on and, and tried to write a thing for myself that I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this story. Yeah. Those, those two pains are completely different. There's definitely like something about like a newness. Like I, I just finished up some work with this client. I went for like a year and a half and they were starting to go in this really new, like innovative way. And it was really exciting. And then for some reason, I think it, that, you know, you probably work with companies where you go from like a startup to like a little beyond a startup and you get a little more conservative. And I was like, oh, this feels terrible. And there's something like, there's a feeling, like you know what it is, but it's a steady job. It's a cushy job. They yep. pay you a bunch of money, you know? And I, I think just like, you got to get, like I'm teaching a course right now about like how to make money on Upwork and how to get started on stuff, freelancing. Um, it's wild, like working with people who are just scared to make that first jump. So I do like the idea of talking to people who are a little bit behind you, talking to people that are a little bit ahead of you. But I think you just constantly like whenever you feel that and nobody really talks about like feelings and related to work. And I'm the same way. I'm like, it's a discipline. You sit down and do it. But, you know, when it doesn't feel right or when it's getting boring or stale and when you can just go do something like completely new and like take a chance again and. 
I don't know. It's it's hard, especially in copywriting, where it's very much like paying your bills and and this and that, you know. But I think like you know what you got to do, you know. It's just like, are you willing to do it? I think that's true for like everything. Yeah, and I think putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, with something creative, and and I know I definitely struggled with this growing up when I was younger. That the idea that there is an aspect of creativity that yeah. is drudgery. Like right. there, there is an aspect of, of repetition and you have to be comfortable with it. Yeah. And it's hard to judge yourself of like the, the slogginess to like, Oh, when it's done that, that's like a 10. Like I know what that feels like, but there's somewhere within the middle of all that where you're just like, you know, even like getting it done or finished is still like, you're only relieved that it's done. You're not, you're not proud of it. You're not, you don't really care about it. And that's usually when you're like, I need to go find something else. I mean, like I've, I've done that for years, you know, it's just like, oh, this is like really boring. You just find yourself <laughs> not excited about it. And how many, how many ways can you say the same thing about a company or about a person or, you know, when it's like repetition, you see it. I mean, you see it everywhere. You see it on your favorite shows when they go downhill or a creator you like is not taking any more chances. I love seeing people just like crash and burn like will ferrell made that movie costa de mi padre that was all in spanish why would you do that movie oh but, yeah, no it's a bad idea bad idea but i'm like he's taking chances swinging that's big great that's swing big you know yeah i like that too and it's so weird because you're the first copywriter i've talked to or at least anyone that i've that i've talked to about copywriting and how it fits alongside writing creativity like creative yeah. uh, creative stuff and because I know my goals if I'm writing a short story or if I'm writing a novel or a screenplay or whatever I'm working on at the time, having someone else be the person who sets those goals and having them be so nakedly capitalistic uh, is that's kind of more the struggle for me. Like the torture that I feel like if I'm working on a piece of my own where I just feel like I can't find the right word or yeah, I'm, I'm a lot better at it now than I was when I was younger, because now it is easier for me to be like, I just need to sit down and write like yeah. the thing, the anxiety or, or the the worry that I'm feeling right now. I'm going to forget that if I'm just writing for at least five minutes. I don't know. Maybe I'm a, a just a complete anxious head case mess. I think I probably am <laughs> really, but <laughs> that's OK. I would almost say like a, a first step for me is when I'm writing with a, a client and it feels like it's getting a little bit stale is when I don't have any new ideas for them. Like, yeah. like, so this last time I was with, like, I was constantly pitching stuff. Some things would hit, some things wouldn't, but every now and then we'd all get excited about something. And as soon as like that started to kind of make a shift and turn, I was just like, Oh, this is not gonna, this is not where I am. You know? And, <laughs> and it, su- it sucks, especially because in freelancing, like a lot of times you're just like, Oh, my loyalty is not going to pay off to me into this. <laughs> you kind of start to see that. But I think it's like, that's when you have to have faith in yourself and that you can just go and, and kind of find new work and like trust in your credibility. And I don't know. It's like, you'll find something that really does interest you. Like I, sometimes it's just like a number of at bats. Like I'm applying to a bunch of jobs right now. I'm kind of rebuilding like my portfolio and everything. And every now and then I'm like, Oh shit, this is it. Or something like that. It really stands out to me. And I don't know. It's like, you have to kind of start to see what that is. Like, it's just like, it's there if you're just kind of looking for it. See for me, cause I'm doing the same thing I've applied to an asinine amount of jobs <laughs> since right. I got laid off in January. And 
I, I there are as like, obviously I don't actually hate writing cause I do it all the time and it's a huge part of my life, but that the, the fear and the anxiety that I feel like the battle, the back and forth when I'm podcasting like this right yeah. here, this is when I feel like I'm like, I'm soaring. This is when right. I, I feel like I'm doing the thing that it, I was supposed to figure out that I had to do writing. Yeah. I is part of that, but it's just, it's this other, like almost like this other beast attached to the side of it. Like, yeah, it's harder, solitary. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot to it. Oh know? yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a big yeah. it's a big battle. This will actually be the first time I've asked anyone about this, and we'll move on from it. Who knows how quickly? Sure, sure. Chat GPT. Yeah. First time it's gotten mentioned on the show that I can remember. From my standpoint, uh, as someone who has worked in marketing for close to ten years, and has recently been laid off right as chat GPT was like, Oh, what are your thoughts about it? Cause I know mine. I'm a little all over the place with it. I recently went on a show and they asked me a ton of questions about it. At the end of the show, he said I was the first person to not give a negative viewpoint about it. So yeah. I kind of have a couple of opinions about it. So like for really basic stuff, like a, a, my buddy's girlfriend was applying to a job and I was like, I'll, here's how you write a cover letter in like two minutes. Like there's no reason to spend a lot of time thinking about something like that where no one really gives a shit anyway. Personally, like there's a writer's strike right now. So my screenwriting interviews have basically ended for the last like six weeks or so. And yeah. it's longer than usual. And it was initially around streaming, but now it's about AI and complications of that. I look at it like um, kind of having a dumb intern in your, in like or someone you're talking to, right? Yeah. So it's like, like I'm running a book with this guy right now. And I was like, look, I'm going to use chat GPT and we're going to figure out the scaffolding of this book. Like, cause I can throw five or 10 ideas into it. And it's going to give me those back. And we're going to tear that apart and dissect and just kind of have a framework to go upon. And then I'm very much like taking his personal stories and putting them into that book and making it better. I'm not actually using ChatGPT for the writing process because it's not a good writer. It's a pretty shitty writer, but it's a good idea, spitball type thing. If you like hate the blank page, you just want something to get going. Um, but it is replacing some pretty generic stuff, some ad writing, some outline phases, a lot of the like first drafts of things. But it's weird because I'm like I'm just now kind of looking back at Upwork and like the the phrase prompt engineer, to my knowledge, didn't exist like six weeks ago. And now it's like every third job is like I need a prompt engineer to update all my stuff or whatever. Yep. But I, I look at it kind of like kind of a a dummy you're talking to who knows a lot about something weird and you have to really kind of align them with what that is. I don't necessarily think people are losing their jobs to AI, but they may be losing to jobs to people who can use AI better than they can. So I do think we need to understand it to some degree. It is going to get you past some of that hurdle stuff, but the writing is still the writing. It's still like all the hard parts are still there. Like that's that part's not changing. And the problem with the studios and the streaming is like the studios are like, well, it's good enough. It's good enough to write another version of ER or whatever it is because it's all the procedural stuff. And every film or TV show that like changes the zeitgeist, there's some personal connection to people. So like this form of like massive plagiarism is not going to do that. So there's a time and a place for it. But I do think I do think writers should at least be looking into it. I'm kind of and I'm worried a little bit about like if I was in ninth grade right now, would I be using it to write boring papers? It's hard to say I wouldn't be, you know, so are there going to, is there going to be more writers in the future? Are they going to be any good? That's a big question. I think. I agree with almost all that. Yeah. Uh, 
my big fear coming from the place where I came from, where it was like, well, yeah, just get chat GPT to write that. I'm like, yeah. right. But you guys pay me <laughs> to do the <laughs> right. thing that you yeah. want me to have it do. And yeah. I got laid off, which sort mm. of seemed <laughs> like right. Right. it was hard for me to not at least see some correlation. Yeah. But like, am I creating an SOP for an AI system to take my job? Basically, Yeah. It's just a weird, it's just so weird to, to think. And I wrote about this a little bit online that a marketing agency specifically would be like, Hey, you need to hire experts and that's us. Yeah. But, but we're going to use chat GPT and like, why pay a marketing yeah, yeah. <laughs> place to right. do that? That right. seemed weird to me. But the, I think the biggest fear that I have is that like chat GPT does exist in, in a way that can be utilized to do some of those like, slower things or the more boring things that you can streamline. But what I'm scared of are the, I mean, this might sound mean, but like the idiots because yeah. like chainsaws are not made to cut hands off, but the idiots are out there <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what they end up becoming. And like Amazon's being flooded with AI written garbage. And yeah. that's the thing that I'm afraid of. Like you said, what are the right yeah. look like in the future? That's kind of, that's the Elon Musk fear. I feel like too, like I heard Tim Ferriss talk about like, I wonder if in the future there's going to be books that say written by a human on them, as opposed to like written by AI. I think like right now it's hard to say where we're going to be at in like 10 or 20 years. But like right now it's like, what's getting replaced is like what, even like I've, I've got a, my writing partner, we write horror movies together. He's a coder. He's using ChatGPT for stuff that he just like has forgotten how to do, and it, it like fills in the blanks. So I think for both of us, copywriting and coding and everything else, it'll be like what used to maybe take five people is like one guy in AI or one woman in AI. I do think that's very real, um, but it's hard to say like where it's going. I would just like encourage people to like don't be fearful of it as far as like a tool, but you still need to know your stuff. You need to be really, really good at your profession. I think. Yeah, I mean, using chat GPT to help you streamline a summary or, or something like that is yeah. different than having like chat GPT. It's not going to do great with metaphors about existentialism or, yeah, <laughs> or yeah, those kind yeah. of things. How like when you're writing a book like Ink by the Barrel or, or the other stuff that you're working on, how long does a book like that take you? And because Ink by the Barrel is a there's a lot of quotes in it, yeah. uh, a lot of sources that you're quoting and uh, linking together the themes that you're talking about in each chapter and, and the overall idea of becoming prolific and thinking about writing as a, as a professional career. How long does something like that take you to put together? So I use like Ron Holiday's note card system is like kind of where the idea comes from. I just throw everything on note cards, put them in a pile, start to form those and connect ideas on your own. If I'm like reading for, you know, eight months to two years, then I can write the whole thing in like 60 days or less. I think there's some other stuff there too. Like there's like, uh, I've always, I've been a ghostwriter. I've written like 10 books for other people. I've been in those meetings where they clearly don't even care if the, what the guy's book's about. It's got a gigantic audience and, you know, and I've pitched my own books where I've gotten closer, but I don't have the audience. So I'm really just starting to kind of promote myself and, you know, step out from behind the, the shadows to some degree. But I think there was some like confidence there too. It was like, I need to, like, I call it barred authority. Like I need to rely on all these other experts, like all the people I've interviewed, all the books I've read. 
And I just now have kind of started to like, well, I know my, I know my stuff too. And it is because of all that, you know, accumulation of, of reading everything and everything else. But um, I do think there's like a confidence thing there that I'm, I'm seeing shift away from already. I'm working on another book now and I'm kind of stepping away from that. But I definitely think it like helps you like quickly outline the process, understand what your thoughts are and like get the words on the page and, and really just like refine the idea. So like eat by the barrel for the me is just, for me, it's just like, you know, secrets from prolific writers, how to be prolific. Some of the ideas might even kind of fight each other, but I've talked to so many people in so many different ways. I want you to find the idea that works for you. That makes you able to sit down and not completely dread what you're about to do with the page. Right. <laughs> that is the dream, isn't it? Right, right. Right. So are they always physical note cards or do you ever use digital? I always use physical whenever I go digital, like doesn't work. Like even like my to-do list, I've, I've recently, I told you like about 90 things. I'll print out a paper with 40 or 50 things on it. And that's what like I'm promising I'll get done the next month. And I've got like 40 or 50 blank spots and I know like, okay, you can really only do this many things, but I'm, I'm very like physical sticky notes, note cards, bulletin boards, stuff like that. I've dabbled with that a little bit, but I, I use Scrivener a lot and I use yeah. final draft to write screenplays i used scrivener for a while but i like final draft more yeah as far i didn't know you were a ghostwriter uh, i have yeah, so yeah. many more questions now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because my my experience with ghostwriting um it's a, it, i'm very interested in, in the form and i only know of you know like super well-known ghostwriters who, who like jr moringer like yeah agassiz's book and right obviously the harry crazy that thing but oh yeah how what's it like are you do you get to sit down with your subject and yeah yeah talk for hours or it's like totally different and i'm like uh, i've come at it so many different ways so i probably the first ones i got were like somebody paid me like 2500 bucks and these are people that write books like they write a book instead of a business card they were going to write one book in their life and it's about being a ceo or something yeah like that. so i've written a bunch of those i've written books like how to start a food truck company those are like simple things more recently, um, I've started writing books with like kind of more well-known people. Like one I wrote in the last like six months hit like number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. This person I was working with was just so busy. I literally like just watched the course he made. We had three phone calls and I had to write the whole book. Now, if it's up to me, I'll at least have a like basically interview them like my podcast for an hour once a week. And then some of them want to kind of write themselves. Some of them hate writing. So it's just, it's really a variety of like the type of person it is and what they're open to. And the one I'm working on now, the guy's like, he kind of wants to, it'll, it'll be ideally something like his name with Brock Swinson. So like more like along those lines, because he wants to be more open about it. So all these things are like up to the person. I don't really care. A lot of people ask me like, what's it? Are you just, are you jealous of the book? I'm like, I don't really give a shit. It's not books I would write anyway. You know, right. so it's, I've got my own books I want to write. So I, it's just like, some things are, they're paying the bills, but I, if you're going to write a book with somebody, you do need to care about what it is. And I, I am probably crafting it in some way. that's not unlike the book I published where it's, I'm thinking a lot about longevity and creativity and productivity. And some of those things are just like, they're going to find their way into everything that I write basically. That's such a fun, funny question. Are you jealous of the success? Of the, of the <laughs> right, right. Like, this isn't my yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. They're like, do you get residuals? I was like, no, but it's like, I get a big paycheck. I mean, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't think about it again. You know, the funny, I, um, 
way back before, because you see these like shifts. I've only written two fiction books that are both ghostwriting jobs. I wrote one that was a Western fiction. I really liked it. And they put a pen name on it. I wrote one I didn't like. It was it was kind of like a Fifty Shades of Grey type book. I'm like, we want to use your name for this one. I was like, ah, oh, shit. So there's a there's a there's a there's like a, a dirty rom com floating around Canada with my name on it right now. Amazing. So, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> right. You you feel weird like because you have to research it knowing nothing about the right. about the whole genre. Yeah, it's just like this is odd, you know. Well, the the weird things like on Amazon, the obviously romance is a, a massive genre yeah. and westerns and action books are, are massive and that's where some of the the ai stuff is is trickling yeah. well, you know falling yeah. into but when you sit down to write your own stuff what are you naturally drawn toward genre what type are you sitting down to write a script like what's the thing that if you sit down what's the the first thing you're going to be working on so i've written a, a, a couple horror movies with a partner i've written three or four scripts on my own like no matter where we start, we always end up talking about like the same 10 movies. We talk about the first season of True Detective over and over and over. Movies like Drive, most of Taylor Sheridan stuff. And I've been fortunate enough, like I've actually interviewed Taylor Sheridan and Paul Schrader, who probably influenced me the, the most. So if you think about like underdog anti-heroes heading towards a violent catharsis, like that's how I think of like everything I write. There's something like that in it, like almost like inevitably. So I kind of just lean into it now. Like I used to not, I used to, you know, I don't know. I'd go back and forth or whatever I saw that week. Oh, here's Aaron Sorkin or something like that. But I'm like, nah, I just like, this is what I like. There's some quote in true detective where he's like, the world needs bad men to keep other bad men away from the door. I'm like, that's everybody I've ever written. At least like the protagonist, you know? So then you write the juxtaposition of that and, and the way you pick a genre and it kind of just lays itself out and it's, it's, yeah, it's super fun. I, I'm working with a, a coach now who's kind of helping me do some more clarity and like ideally once the, you know, once the um, documentary sales, I'll have two screenplays that are kind of in line with that. And we're going to be working on selling those as well. That's a genre that I, I mean, I love Paul Schrader. Yeah. Weirdly have been re I, I found there's a book that has, uh, what is it? Taxi Driver, American Gigolo, and Light Sleeper. It has the screenplays all in, mm. uh, in the same book, and I've been reading those relatively recently. So that's definitely the a genre, that, you know, yeah. subgenre that I that I appreciate. And he, you know, he, he can't help himself. He writes about a troubled guy writing in a journal. It's every movie, he's literally ever every single yeah. movie. Um, yeah. yeah. When I watched Rolling Thunder, I was like, yeah this sort of just seems like taxi driver and, uh, <laughs> right, and, yeah. and I still love it. <laughs> First reformed. And I hadn't seen master gardener, but I guarantee it's, it's got oh, no, I, there's yeah. I, I, in the trailer. You see that you see yeah. him in the, in the journal. Right. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. And do you read a lot of like, are you, are, I mean, obviously you do the show and yeah. you write blogs and stuff. Uh, so are you constantly reading other people's stuff with an eye towards finding, inspiration or, or energy or are you constantly seeking that stuff out or is it just a every now and then kind of thing it's probably every now and then are more like problem solving like how do you do this in the best way or like how do you kind of show this on screen and i'll end up like i might spend like well when i started my documentary i watched the first 10 minutes of every single thing ken burns had ever come out with i'm like how do you start a long-form documentary like this so stuff like that or um I actually host a show for creative screenwriting now on, on YouTube for them. So like I interviewed Edgar Wright probably a year ago, but we we're doing an episode where 
we're talking about the first five pages of every editor write script. So stuff like that, I'll, I'll lean into something. I'll read them, watch them over and over. But it's weird. It's just like kind of talking to this this coach again. It's like, you know, there's there's millions of movies. In a lifetime, someone probably sees 5,000 movies. But who you are and who you write like, especially screenwriters, there's like 10 or 20 movies you're going to reference the rest of your life. You probably saw them when you're like a teenager or something, you know. Like there's – I don't see a lot of stuff today. I'm like really blows me away. Like I'm talking about the same stuff that got me the first time. that made me want to write in the first place, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. I, um, I definitely have those that I, that I return to a lot. And recently, literally last week I was rewatching the beginning of super eight because mm-hmm. of how economical that very first scene is where they're removing the numbers saying when yeah. the last in like the last mistake in the, the place was and reading the script and comparing it to, to the movie. It, I think is the same thing you were saying is problem solving. Like I, yeah. cause I'm working on a thing now and reading other screenplays to, to see like, okay, how they do this. Okay. And they did an insert shot here. They did this. Yeah. Uh, I love doing that stuff. Yeah. Then whenever you can talk to someone like third party. So like just talking to some other people, I'm like slowly realizing I'm solving too many problems before I start writing for the character. So I'm like, there's not a giant enough transformation. Like he's too smart on page one or something like that. So it's just every now and then you'll get some big epiphany like that. It's just like, ah, oh, shit, I've been doing this off the whole time, you know, or something. But yeah, um, I mean, that's all. That's kind of the fun part there, too. It's like, OK, well, I see the new way now. I see this new method, how to go about that. You know, do you write on your phone? Um, a little bit. I probably write more on like I do like to make things small, though. If I look at a blank page and I can move it over to my digital sticky notes and it's tiny, like I do like that. But I'm more like jotting ideas for the phone and stuff. I've been, um, I've talked to several people on the show where they're like, yeah, right. I wrote most of this on my phone or I wrote it on my phone through uh, coming up with ideas and stuff. And I, I mentioned it briefly in one of the more recent episodes where I deleted Twitter off my phone and I had a gesture set up so that Twitter would pop up and I, put my notes app mm. on that gesture now. So if I do it just like out of instinct, That's I'm cool. like, oh, okay, now it's time to write. I'll write something. Even on the screenplay that I'm working on, like the amount of stuff that I've gotten written on my phone and not worrying about formatting or anything like yeah, just yeah. boom, 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 going through stuff. It's been a big help. I was kind of shocked by how much more I got done by just pouring it into the notes app on my phone. Yeah, and some of that's just like taking that professional hat off for a second and like going back to it kind of being fun. I definitely, you're right, because you get ideas when you're outside walking or something like that. You don't really get the ideas staring at the computer. I like to think of it as like, if I'm going to write every morning, I've got so many hours in which I'm going to be beneficial. But if I can show up with something, like with something in the notes app or wherever, that I'm not starting from scratch. So then you're not wasting that that valuable time where you can enter flow state or whatever they want to call it, you know. You got to show up kind of, you've already done your research, I think. Yeah. So Ink by the Barrel, uh, it's out now. You can actually go to broxwinson.com slash ink. I think if you just type in broxwinson.com, it, it pops up, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm giving it away for free. It's the it's the PDF download and the audio book. Um, this is something I kind of learned working with people like Russell Brunson and, and Pace Morby and um, really just kind of putting everything out there. Again, it's kind of that barred authority, but a lot of people just like have one idea and they're very careful of that idea and very precious about it. Like I see this as like the first of maybe 10 books that I plan to write in a lifetime. I'm writing every couple of years and I really just want to build that trust and like encourage as many people as I can to be prolific. So that's kind of the thinking behind the marketing and then 
we'll be coming out with some some different courses and, and projects and all kinds of stuff soon. So anyone who signs up will kind of get the email list and access to the podcast and I'm just going to keep giving a, a ton of great stuff away for free as well. Uh, Creative Principles is the podcast that's uh, out now. Uh, episode 436 recently <laughs> went up. So obviously recording very regularly. Are those all brand new episodes or are they are you bringing stuff back from a, a library of stuff or how's it work? I've never done a repeat. I don't think. I, I mean, I've got 10 on my computer. No one's heard yet. So I've published a lot or like I listen to a lot. And I'll go through phases, like someone just asked me, like kind of how I do it. I don't really do, I need to be more scheduled, like one a week or whatever it is, but I might record 30 in a month and then not record anything for two months. So it's it's all over the place. It's more like I've hired an assistant now to help me with some of the kind of boring stuff. So I might be in an airport and take a picture of eight books. Like, hey, I want to talk to all these writers you can get me a hold of. And then we'll probably schedule half of those. So a lot of it's just stuff like that. Or I'll, I'll watch some new show. Like I, Lucky Hank just came out. I interviewed um, Paul Lieberstein, two of the writers. Paul Lieberstein was Toby on The Office, Muriel Enos, and um, D- uh, Diedrich Bader. Just book. I love the show, so I want to talk to as many people as I can from that show. So, I don't yeah, I just like to kind of jump around what interests me. And, and then some of these, obviously, very beneficial. Like, I'm thinking about the next book I want to write, so I'm picking people off of they've got a reel that went viral and I want to ask them some questions about that. So it's definitely a variety of people that, you know, obviously pique my own interest, but hopefully are beneficial for listeners as well. Well, I know how much it takes to, to get ready for, (laughs) for episodes. (laughs) So that's impressive because I mean, I, well, I record, you know, I try to record around an hour at least. I mean, I do, I do like half an hour or so. I used to get paranoid. Like I, I had this job and I actually recorded my interview with um, Aaron Sorkin in my car on my lunch break. And I used to kind of like have all my questions and I would just read the questions and I was barely listening to what they're saying. More often than not though, like I'll, I'll watch the trailer for the movie, but then I'm just having a conversation. Like I just, I'm, I'm assuming I know enough to have a conversation. And once in a while, like actually when I talk to uh I'm Kerry Fukunaga. I didn't really realize until right before it started that he's the one who directed True Detective because he was <laughs> he wasn't that famous at the time. And then after that, he went on to do the James Bond movie. So there's some every once in a while, I'm like, oh shit, this is like a gigantic thing I can't not ask about, you know. But but you can usually I just kind of tighten that window that I'm prepping for things. See, for me, I know that I can suffer from over prep that I can like <laughs> right, yeah. get way too into my own head and. I have to battle that. But also, like you just said, there's been a lot of times where I've sat down to talk with someone and it's basically six to seven of the questions that I have written don't get asked because we just have a conversation and, you know, things flow. And, but it's an impressive amount of, uh, of episodes up, uh, for creative principles. Is there anywhere else you want to send people to, to find your stuff? I know you've got stuff on, um, is it creative screenwriting.com? Yeah, and you can read. So, so a lot of the interviews um, are also like the magazine basically buys them from me now. So they're also in print form. A lot of the, the bigger screen. We talked to like Peter Gould recently who did Better Call Saul. Um, but then I'm also just on like Instagram and Twitter at Brock Swinson. That stuff's kind of new to me. I'm, I'm more concerned with like an email list, but I am kind of starting to share some reels and clips. But it really just cycles back to the podcast and the book and just like the idea of being prolific. So either at Brock Swinson or BrockSwinson.com for the majority of that stuff. Heck yeah. Everybody go check out Ink by the Barrel and listen to Creative Principles. Brock, super awesome to talk to you. I'm glad you got to stop by. Yeah, I feel like we covered a lot. I really appreciate it.
Ink by the Barrel is available right now at brockswinson.com slash ink, and Creative Principles has a ton of content for you to listen to. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, everywhere you can find a podcast, you can find it, and give it a listen. You'll find a lot to, to hear and, and help you with your writing. Thank you so much for checking the episode out. Again, if you like it, please go rate it, subscribe to it, share it, comment on it, all those things. It's it's posted everywhere. Most of the people, I can tell from my stats, are, are listening on Apple Podcasts, so thank you for, for doing that there. And swing by AustinRWilson.com. That's my website where you can find my work. There's free stories, free comic books, all kinds of stuff. So go check that out. But there's also a bibliography that lists where I've had stuff published. And listen to the other episodes that I have up. There's definitely more coming uh, this summer. I've got a lot of other people already scheduled and and working on getting stuff out. And I have internet now, so it's going to be a lot easier to get the next episode out. I really, really appreciate Brock's patience and me getting this put all, all put together while I moved and got the internet up and up and ready. So thank you to him and thank you to you for listening. I'll catch you next time. 